Father God, I just thank you for this young man, Lord. I thank you for the anointing upon his life. Lord, I just pray, Lord God, that you will prepare our hearts and our ears to hear. Lord, you're a God that's uh, with an audience of one, and we will all process things differently. But you want to speak to us through this talk, Lord. I thank you for that. Bless him, Lord God. Anoint him for the task in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. How are you? I had a funny story intro, but I'm already crying. I mean, sheesh. I should probably keep a couple tissues with me. They don't exist. Perfect. Great. How's everyone doing this morning? Uh, it's a privilege always to um, share here in this house. And um, I was just thinking and reflecting because... I'm a new parent. We have a, we have a, a four-month-old baby, just about. And uh, when Bex and I got married, Mila, my daughter, uh, was already eight. So, uh, or I should say seven. So this is a, parenting is very new for me, and I really don't think I have any good things, uh, good advice for you just yet, because I'm just figuring it out. But I just want to encourage us this morning, because God is doing something in our midst. And I remember for myself, because what I can talk about is, is my parents. We're also going to take up an offering to uh, increase our tissue budget, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> just for me, once every two months. Um, but I remember being in church, in a meeting, my parents were radically saved. They had ex- <sighs> This didn't happen in my prep. <laughs> they were radically saved and they had nothing. They had nothing. They were exploring New Age movements, palm reading. They were, they were involved in witchcraft. They were trying to figure out what the meaning of life was. They were trying to find God. And what happened was, my mom had me. She was downtown Toronto. She was breastfeeding me, sitting on the side of like Nathan Phillips Square or something like this. She could hear music. And while the music was playing, she's like, I'm sorry. While the music was playing, a guy comes up to her. It's not even in my notes. A guy comes up to her and says, Do you like that music? She says, Yeah. Do you like music? Yeah. Why don't you come? Come and check it out. Here's a ticket. She goes into this basically big tent meeting that's happening in a building with this crazy music and a guy gets up and basically describes the gospel to her and says that it's for people who are broken, who need help, who have been hurt and all these things. She thinks because she was invited and she's sitting there, she thinks that the guy is actually just talking to her and he said, is that someone here? There's people here and she's never been in a church meeting. So she stood up and said, you're describing me. And for the next three hours, she basically was just ministered to and, and wept and received Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And then, like Mike and Debs, go home and tell your husband that you're a Christian. It's 
Like, what, is, what does that mean? Like, you know? And anyway, the, the point is this. They became Christians, and a pastor reached out to them, and, and supernatural things took place in their life. Supernatural things. They were seeing a witch. They were involved in New Age, and they faced such a uh, crossroads at one of those moments where they were supposed to go to this witchcraft meeting, basically, this session, palm reading session of sorts. And they just felt in turmoil the whole day, in turmoil. And the pastor of the church called them and said, we would love you guys to come and be a part of this Bible study. We'd love you to come and come into our home. And they were like, do we go there or do we go there? Do we go there? And they faced this turmoil. And do you know what happened? They decided to go to that church meeting. And do you know they never received a single further phone call from anyone involved in the witchcraft stuff whatsoever. People they had spoken to on a daily basis instantly broke. No conversation about why. It just stopped. Because God grabbed them and he held them and he kept them. And they came in with nothing. But I just think about it, is that God is a God of generations, isn't he? I can look at my parents' story and I can see what he's done in their lives. And then I realize it's not just what he's done in their lives. It's what he's done in their generation and in the next generation. And I'm standing here with my wife seeing, oh my gosh, we have a baby girl there who we're dedicating to God saying we want to raise her the way that God designed her to be. And I'm thinking my parents had something to do with that. Psalm 71, it says this. David writing, so even to old age and to gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. When God introduced himself in the Old Testament, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of three generations. And this morning, I want to encourage you, let us be people who are building a three-generational church. I remember being in, in, in worship meetings with my parents and I'm sitting on the rows and there's, there's boys over there and my parents are in worship and, and I'm seeing them, I'm, choo, 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 we're playing guns and then my mom turns and looks at me and I'm, <laughs> we, all, we all have stories like this, right? <laughs> you know, and, and, we're, and we're working in our kids' ministry, we're passionate about kids, we love our kids and we've been running a program where you, you come in and you drop your kids at the door and they put on a name tag, you grab that beautiful coffee and you come and you sit in here and you just, ah, oh, this is my moment. You know, and we're saying, is that effective? We've been talking about that. Is that effective? Because it's not my job to parent your kids and it's not your job to parent my kids, but it's our job to partner together to raise our kids. And I think back to the story of my parents and what they did. And I'm going to draw something from what they did. Because before, um, before we had Bluetooth, we had wires. <laughs> so my parents, my, my parents wired up our house so that they could play scriptures the whole night through, every night. And we didn't have, like, iTunes where you could, you know, you guys remember these days. We had to get audio discs. And so we're ordering this thing. It cost us, like, three or $400 to get the full Bible audio discs. And we bought a six-CD changer. My dad's drilling holes through the carpet and dropping those two-prong wires through. And he's wiring everything. And we're sleeping at night, and we can hear, like, um, with hair, white like wool. And we're like, <laughs> and the dragon, and the seven eyes, and the seven dwarfs. And uh, sorry, I'm mixing it up. <laughs> But there was, things were real around there, you know. But I'll tell you what, 
is every Saturday morning we knew that there was something waiting for us, which was a prize, hockey cards, something like this. And it was after we memorized the scripture that was usually put to song around breakfast with our family. And I remember going to, traveling to churches with my family and my dad would get up and, um, and they would be so impressed. Be like, oh my gosh, these guys are six and seven and they know a couple hundred scriptures. And what is Titus 1-2? Titus 1-2, God cannot lie. That was a short one. What's Ephesians 2.8? For it's by grace you've been saved. I hope they watch this. But you know what happened? They put stuff in us that became our defaults. In Genesis 12, it says this. And it's the call of Abram Abram at the time. It says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And my, one of my questions for us this morning is this, is do we go from moments to motion? Do we go from moments to motion? See, God speaks to us in a moment. But it's after that moment has taken place where we have to do this. The scary thing is, when I read this passage, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. There's only one definite thing I see. Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. Do that. But where am I going? I will show you. See, we live in a culture that goes, I'll take that step when I know it's gonna, where it's going to land. If you're in business, you know what calculated risk means. But Abram didn't take calculated risk. Abram simply said yes to God. I think about the story, it goes on right, like literally close to after this, they've gone and he's, he's with his brother-in-law Lot and it's Abram and Lot and, they, and God is growing them, they're wealthy, they have all these cattle, they have all these things going on and, base, and basically what happens is they start rubbing shoulders because they're, so, they're growing and they limited land and so Abram says, Lot, why don't, why, don't we, um, why don't you go left or right, you decide and then I'll go the opposite way. This is a man who God has just said, I am going to make you an amazing human with a big legacy and all these things. But Abram didn't assume that he should have first choice in this situation. And so Lot does what a lot of us do. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> he looks out with his natural eyes. He looks one way, uh, you know, it's a bit deserty. It's just whatever. And then he looks the other way and he sees, oh, lush green. Nice little river. It's backing onto water. It's well watered. It's well fed. It's like, oh, that makes sense for my cattle, for my family, all these things. You know what, Abram? We're going to go that way. We're going to go there. Lot was a garden chaser. And my question for you this morning is, do your kids see you chasing greener grass all the time? 
See, we dream in gardens, but God calls us to deserts. He calls us to be the oasis in a desert. He calls us to be the water in the desert, the river in the desert. But some of us, we don't ever get an opportunity to be the water in the desert because we're always chasing gardens. We're always chasing the green grass on the other side. We're one deal away from that thing, from finally getting back to parenting our kids the way God designed, just spending time with them. Oh, we're so busy in this thing. Oh, we're so busy in that. All these kinds of things. And I think about the story of the Titanic. You know, the, the story of the Titanic is so sad because the smallest adjustment could have avoided the iceberg. And do you know what happened was, when you read the accounts, is that they were actually sending signals, sending signals to say, make an adjustment, make an adjustment. But the the guys sending the messages through were too busy relaying the messages from the passengers to the family. Busy in things. Busy just, we love you, we'll see you soon. But missing the point of what the adjustment that was needed, needed to take place. Because Lot trusted what he saw with his eyes, but Abraham trusted God by opening his hands on what was going on. So my next question for you, as Christians, as godly parents, is this, is do we teach our kids that they decide who they are, or do we teach our kids that they discover who they are? We live in a generation built around deciding who we are. Don't we? You're basically one surgery away from whatever you want to be in our day and age. But Corinne touched on this this morning, and I'm reading again, Psalm 139. David writing, I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become light, night, But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book, and every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Has anyone here ever bought a car before? Gone to a dealership, bought a car? Has anyone here ever, like, had the opportunity when you're buying that car, like, you splurge, like, you, you chose the color, you chose the interior color, you chose if it had leather or if it had cloth? Yeah? You know, I've done this too with, car, with a car. It's like, oh, like I want, I, I want it in that color. I want it this. And guess what? A transaction takes place and I become the owner of that car. It's like I chose the interior color. I chose the exterior color. I chose this. I chose that. I didn't discover what my car was going to be like. I decided what my car was going to be like. But you know, I have a daughter sitting here, Mika. And when I think about how Mika came about, Mika came about because my wife and I participated in intimacy, but actually, from there, it was a journey of discovery. I didn't decide anything about her. 
I didn't know she was going to be a boy or a girl. Blue eyes or brown eyes. Dark hair or light hair. We kind of had a good idea on that one. (laughs) Tall or short. We also have a good idea on that one. (laughs) But why is that? Because of Psalm 139. Before you were born, you were knit together in your mother's womb. We literally participated in the conception, and then we just had to wait for the process to unfold. And that reality to me is this, is that while I can own a car, I am not my kid's owner. I am a steward. And when you see parents who act like they're their kid's owner... You ever see how those kids turn out? When we try and control them and make them do exactly as this, you will do this, you. We're raising a human that is not us. (laughs) Isn't it true? Romans 12, 2 says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all you do and think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways really satisfy you. I love this. How easy it is for us to just try and see what is culturally okay when it comes to how we raise our kids. What is the culture doing? What's okay? What do they suggest? But what about the simple thing of going back to this? Going back to this. You know, if Solomon had some good advice about how to raise kids, and it's in the Bible, and it's God-breathed, and people traveled across nations just to go and sit in his wisdom for a few minutes, then maybe God knew what he was doing when he spoke to us in here. My question is, do our kids see us content in the wrong things, Or satisfied in God. (laughs) Because the reality is, we, we understand that contentment is important. But not contentment that leads to complacency. Because we as Christians should be content, but we should also be contending. Philippians 4 says this, and it's Paul writing to the uh, church in Philippi. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And Jude 1, verse 3, it says this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Paul identifies a contentment when it came to what he was living in, in his his earthly situation, his clothing, his food, all these things. We have to live content. If we live our lives contending in that sense, we will lose the plot every time. If I'm contending for my job and contending for more money, contending for wealth, contending for this, contending for that, that's not what God has called us to. God has called us to be content in those things. But we contend for our faith. And can I say this? The second we stop building a church, 
with God for the next generation is the second we start dying as a community. In 2 Kings 20, we know the story of Hezekiah. It says this. At the time, Merodach Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all his treasures in the house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What do these men say? And where do they come from to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come from a far country from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, why not, if there will be peace and security in my days? Hezekiah was known for doing amazing things in God, eh? But it seems at the end of his life, he may have lost the plot a little bit. Doesn't matter how you became a Christian. Doesn't matter how radical you used to be. Where are you now? Because who you are now is who your kids see. There might have been a time in your life where you really just, you were so, God had just your gaze. He just had you. There was a softness there. But it's like time happens and things happen and we lose the plot and we can't shake that dusty hardness off of our lives. But God wants to remind us of who we are before all these cool, cool things happen in our lives. Because our kids are watching us, eh? You know, it's the crazy story, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the crazy thing when you read it, and if you've been doing the 2020 challenge, we've gone through this recently, is there's this situation in Abram's life where he goes into Egypt with Sarah, and his Sarah's wife is very beautiful. And, and, um, and he basically goes, Sarah, like, you're my wife, but I'm scared that if they know that you're my wife, they're going to kill me because you're beautiful and they want to take you as their wife. So say you're my sister, because it's like a half-truth, right? They're somehow related and whatever. So they go and say, he's my sister and all these things. And the guy goes, how dare you? Like, you bring curses upon us, all these kinds of things. And, and then he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then they leave and God blesses them despite their horrible performance and all these things. But the crazy thing is, um, with Isaac, the son, is Isaac does the same thing. It's crazy. Like, yeah, he's the child of promise, and yeah, Abram believed it was credited to him as righteousness, which doesn't mean perfection. Because he was just a man who trusted God. 
But the same thing happened to Isaac. He introduces Rebecca, his wife, who is beautiful, just like my Rebecca, and says, this is my sister. And the same thing happens again. Why is that? I don't know. But what I can say is it's probably something to do with mumps and measles. The scary thing is, most of us would prefer that our kids saw the more radical version of us before all the stuff, right? But can I say, it's never too late. You ever seen the, you ever seen the concrete, like you're on the sidewalk, and you see like a ruptured like piece of concrete, and you see this tiny little shoot coming out of it? And you think, no. Really? What's happened? This tiny little a seed fell there, somehow got through that. Over time, a lot of work was happening underneath, the right temperature, the right, all these things. All of a sudden, somehow, this man-made thick concrete is broken by nature. But that's a hard process for us to understand because we love breakthrough. Who here has prayed Breakthrough. Breakthrough. We love breakthrough. We're a breakthrough culture. Why? Because it's, a, it's kind of like an instant gratification. God, you need to move now. Right now. God, I need an answer right now. This and this and this. But you know, I think God is more interested in not breakthrough. I think he's more interested in grow through. It's not a, it's not a word. It's hyphenated. <laughs> because with grow through... Breakthrough exalts a moment, but growth through sees a process. And you and I are called to grow through. And can I just say, with Hezekiah, how selfish he became. Well, hey, at least I will be content in my days. Well, what are we passing on to our kids? What are, we, what are we really passing on to our kids? Are we passing on the security that this world has to offer? Colossians 1, I'm going to just need a couple more minutes here. Says this, Paul's labor for the church. I think a beautiful picture he paints here. But he says this in verse 24 Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have, co- I have become its servant by the commission of God gave the, by the commission God gave to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. That word mystery is mysterion. It simply means um, uh, something, that was, uh, something that was hidden in order that it would be revealed, that it would be found. But it is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim and admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. There is that word contend. Paul, the same writer who says, I am content in every situation, yet I am contending for this thing. And what he's, in te- what he's contending for is perfection. 
But let me tell you about this word perfect because it's important for us to understand, especially for me, because I'm an imperfect parent raising imperfect kids to become apparently perfect for God in a sense. But the root word of this word perfect is the word telos. It's where we get the word telescope from. So it doesn't mean without flaws. It simply means, this is what Paul's saying, you ready? Because I've seen into God's telescope for you, I am going to warn you. I am going to admonish you. I am going to rebuke you. I am going to love you. Why? Because I've looked through that telescope and I've seen your prophetic destiny. I have a friend, had a bad experience in the church, and he basically pledged, he said, yeah, me and my wife, we are, we are just not going to be pushing our kids in any, we're not pushing them towards anything, because we, you know, we had a bad, we really want them to find it for themselves. Oh my gosh. We are called to lead our children. We don't just point our kids in the right direction. We walk with them. I, I, we, my wife constantly brings up this beautiful picture. Kanye West, okay? He's had this uh, big transformation, but he's, he's in the middle of his Sunday service, his meetings, right? These worship meetings. And he's like singing and worshiping God, and his daughter comes up, <laughs> pulls him on the thing. And he's worshiping God, and he stops, and he gives her the time of day. Why? Because he's taking her on a journey. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. Yo, this is, this is, this is the big part of the song. This, no, 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 no. Just wait. We will talk after. No, he engages her in the middle of it. Why? Because he's taking her on a journey. It's our job as parents to take our kids on a journey. We are on a journey with God. I just want to read a story and then we're going to close. It's in Luke 24. Set the stage. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's resurrected. His disciples do not yet know. And they've forgotten that he was going to rise after three days, as most of us would. So it starts in, in Luke 24, 13. It says, now that same day, two of them, talking about disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about a seven miles walk from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along this road? And they stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. And then he goes on to explain um, the story of Jesus, because they didn't know they're with Jesus. But it picks up in verse 30, and basically Jesus was going to go to another, keep going, but they're like, no, stay, just stay with us, and, he's, and he stays. And then it was, when they're sitting at the table with them, in verse 30, it says this, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? I hope 
my kids will say that about me. Didn't our heart burn within us while our parents opened the scripture to us? But you know what's required? A seven-mile walk. If we were a church of convenience, we wouldn't ask hard questions. But God is calling us to raise up another generation. That's what he's doing. See, it's easy for us to think about the good old days and, oh, when we were... I grew up in a church with the good old days. One band, tight as anything. All these things. Great preachers. One or two, three... But when we bring up another generation, it is way messier. I'll tell you what. We've been talking as an eldership team. We, we are thinking of creative ways to connect our kids more to what's happening here. And the reason is, I desperately wish that my amazing impact on your kids could happen up there once every two or three weeks when I'm up there. But you know, you know what's going to make them worship God unapologetically, serve God unapologetically? It's when they see you do it. If you do the Sunday thing and you hurrah, rah, rah, I'm here, boom, boom, boom. Okay, let's go home. And husbands, then we just abuse our wives verbally or discount what they're saying, discredit them. Our kids, they see the mumps and the measles. They, they know what's what. We're not deceiving them. But I think that God is calling us out of a lukewarmness into a fiery, fiery, fiery love for him and for his church. Lukewarmness, what does it look like? If we're going to call a spade a spade, what does it look like? Don't really read the Bible. Don't really engage at a high level in, in no explosive worship. Church is a chore. Come on. That's real. You know, it'd be easier to just use scriptures and talk around it. But that's, that's real. But God wants to break that thing. And it's not by us going, okay, okay, let's muster it up. Let's... No, we know the deal. God ignites the fire in our hearts. We come to him. Abram, go, leave your father, leave your this, leave the things you know, and go to a land I will show you. Take the first step. What is that first step? God, this is where I'm at. Speak to God like you are hooked up to a lie detector test. Speak to him candidly. Speak to him honestly. I say, God, I need your help. I am not a good parent. I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. How do I lead my kid? Why? Because I'm not trying to raise my kids to be good. Look to someone and say, God is not trying to make you good. Do it. I dare you. Where is this going? God is not trying to make you good. Most of you are like, oh, phew, because I'm... He did a good job. No. God is trying to make you spiritual. Your job is not to raise your kids to be good. Your job is to raise your kids to encounter the living God 
and live a spiritual life led by the Spirit. When we are led by the Spirit, we accidentally don't just become good, we become great. Outstanding, eh? Isn't God good? If we could have the... I think it really does need a response from us. If we've got a few more moments, if you need to go, um, God bless you, I understand. But if we could have the worship team up here. And um, amazing words. Great reminder for all of us. And um, I must say, as a, uh, a preacher or teacher, whatever um, I am, one of my problems is that every, if I'm not careful, everything I read and do with regard to the Bible uh, becomes a, a sermon. I'm always looking. Sundays come quicker, Hades coming, all of these kind of things. And I began to realize a while ago that actually... I was reading the Bible for you or for others and not for myself. And that's a sad place to, to be because God is a God of an, influence, of, of an audience of one. I want to tell you, when you are worshiping, when you are in a place with God, and whether you're kneeling or sitting or, or dancing, He is totally engaged with you. Why do I know that? Why would he say, even if a hair falls off your head, I know about it? How intimate is that? This God that we serve. And this happened to a number of churches uh, in the New Testament. And one of my most favorite books, I suppose, uh, of many, but one of them is obviously Ephesians. It's just an incredible, incredible uh, book to read and study. You can do it for months and months and still be mining it. And Paul in that uh, Ephesians 3 talks about this um, this love of God, that you will understand the breadth, the depth, the width of the love of God. And uh, we go, and in a sense, while he was writing that, I don't know whether he had an inkling that this amazing church that that did so much would fall out of love with God and in love with the process. Because we know in Ephesians, uh, in, in Revelation 1, that church is commended by Jesus for such incredible things, theology, uh, understanding and testing prophets, false apostles and all kinds of things. Just incredible, incredible insight and depth. You can hear that when he writes to them, that this is a solid, deep church in theology for sure. And he says this, but I have this against you. And this is the, to me, the essence for me, even for myself, is I can drift away from God and I begin to, in a sense, forsake my first love. Slowly but surely, it becomes about a sermon. Slowly but surely, it becomes about a worship team, becomes about the events. Slowly but surely, 
it's 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 I become detached to God in a sense and it becomes emotion and although Jesus corrects them pretty sternly he gives them one solution and one solution only doesn't beat them up he says all I want from you is to repent and do the things you did at first repentance is a wonderful word the enemy tries to destroy all of these beautiful words because the root word is the word metanoia and what it is is we begin to drift away from God and we begin to walk in the wrong direction the enemy it's not an event where you can say well today I became that it's a process it's like the frog in the water and what happens when we begin to drift away and drift away so it becomes emotion and that's in our marriages that's in a relationship with our children but more importantly in this context relationship to God and all Jesus asked them to do is repent and that word metanoia is simply this it's a lot more than this but in its simplicity turn around and do the things you did at first first love first love relationship and so if we leave this place from a place of well I've got to do this I've got to love my kids and I've got to read and I've got to do all of this stuff it has a shelf life like a new year's resolution but if we come into our presence of a God and say God actually for whatever reason I'm falling out of love with you I don't even know why I didn't want to but I want to come back and there's this beautiful scripture in Romans 5 that says God's love is poured into our hearts by His Spirit in other words the love of God is not achieved we cannot earn it just by reading more by doing more stuff and getting all of these ducks in a row it's received and it's poured into our hearts by Spirit so we can go along doing all the right stuff and still not be in love but it means coming into His presence be it at home wherever but on a daily basis and say God my love tank is empty I don't even love myself how can I love anybody else and when I come there and I open my arms it says that God pours out His love into our hearts by His Spirit and so for just a moment, I know people have to go and we've got jobs and things going on. So please um, be free. And we, we don't want to be here too long. But just for a moment, if we could just open our hearts. To me, it's like I've got all this stuff on me and I just stand under a beautiful shower and it just rushes all the mud and the muck off me. And I believe that God wants to remind us that it's not about the stuff, it's about a love relationship with Him.